Hi everyone, this is Elizabeth West, BTN Editorial Director, and you're listening to The Biz at BTN. Today I'm speaking with Yvonne Moya of, of Amsterdam-based human resources company Randstad for a new series we're calling Path Back to Business Travel. Moya is the Director of Global Travel Transformation, and over the past year, she's placed Randstad with a new travel management company while working to get the company and the travelers back on the road safely with the right support. So, Yvonne, thank you so much for talking with me today, and welcome to the program. Thank you. Hi, Beth. How long has it been, Yvonne, since you've personally traveled on business? That is a very interesting question because the the year is already flying by in the months, but it has actually been uh, to business travel show in 2020. So that was my last business trip. That was my last business trip as well. I think there are quite a few people in the industry, particularly in Europe, that that was their last business trip. And we, we got that in just under the wire. We were happy to do so. I know you've taken a new position at Randstad since, since the pandemic began, but you were, um, you were consulting with them before that. Tell me a little bit about how that transition happened. Yeah, so it was quite a natural transition, I would say. So I've been helping um, Randstad before as their management consultant in terms of strategy and all things like uh, approaches in sourcing and how to build up global, global categories. And, and when I was asked if I wanted to join the company permanently, I did that uh, with a very sad, but also with a very laughing eye because I really loved the company culture and you know the task was to build something up for from scratch so mm-hmm. and I really love that. When the pandemic began then I'm assuming that there was actually some a challenge in knowing where people <laughs> were and trying to locate and get them back to their home countries. Yeah yes absolutely so I think we did do our homework we did start off you know with strategy and all the nice plans that you follow and have in your head like we need to get consolidated to have better data but this is where already the pandemic happened Mm. and we had the strategy and the, the nice plan of what we all will do what our vision is and you know how we really also adapt our program to the company strategy and all of a sudden we were in that place and you know we knew that the data was there somewhere but not really instantly available so right. as we were already in a in a bit of a due diligence we knew who to contact and where to get the data but it was nothing like consolidated as i said or you know managed in a easy and instant way yeah Tell me a little bit about the size of the program, maybe before the pandemic. And, and this kind of lays a foundation for us to talk about the return to travel, because I don't know a lot about the Randstad program. Mm. That's an interesting and very complex uh, mm. question, because the nature of the business, we do have our own employees, right? So we're 39,000 Randstad employees, and and this is our core base, but we have around 700,000 people working for us every day, but they're with clients and with customers. So from a very high level perspective, perspective, when we speak about the program, we're touching the own employees. The program as such is in the three digit million (laughs) area. At the moment, the focus is on the Randstad core employees, and we're trying to get 
everything in order there. We are covering from a Randstad market perspective, 33 markets, but not everybody is really traveling. As I said, you know, from a nature business, there's a lot of consultants that are working, you know, to, to give uh, flex workers or permanent workers or headhunting to our clients. Mm -hmm. So there's not a lot of traveling and if so, a lot of domestic travel as well. So um, the focus really for us is um, the US. It's our biggest traveling market. And then there is Europe. Um, and from a program perspective, after a year now, we started off with on the on the strategy, it was, I think, 12 markets that we wanted to consolidate. And okay. now we are at over 20, having joined the program. So it it was really a good time to do it. It was not easy because it was still travel was at a halt, at a pause, but everybody understood let's use this time um, to really make something, make a change. Right, yeah. right. So you talk about the scope of the project um, prior to the pandemic and that it has actually grown um, in the meantime from 12 markets to over 20. And that's a really interesting insight because there was probably the time and the space to make that happen uh, maybe more quickly than originally planned. What about yeah. your objectives? Your objectives in coming to the Randstad program prior to the pandemic, and then how did they change <laughs> or did they change with the pandemic sort of actively happening and you evolving the program mm. to a global structure? Yeah, I think the overall vision or object objective didn't really change because the mm. building blocks around the program of, you know, balancing the cost element, the safety, security, health, but also quite frankly, the commercial aspects, you know, the, mm. the, the savings element of it. That is when you come from an unmanaged program, it's there, right? So right. we really, we went out with all of these in, in mind and, um, we are in procurement, we're procurement function, we're belonging to um, the CFO office. So yes, there was a natural interest in, you know, leveraging what we have. But I have to say, on the other hand, we're a human capital company. So there was always the human being in, in, in the middle of it, right? So mm -hmm. our the, the world here is around work and is around people. So there was no way that we would say, you know, we do this and sacrificing on on uh, on, on this end. So right. I would say the objectives as, as such haven't changed. Mm -hmm. Maybe the speed in a positive way that we could do some things faster than we thought. And mm -hmm. maybe also priorities have shifted. Yes. And when you say priorities have shifted, is it and, and I know that as a procurement function, the cost priority is always there and the savings priority is always there. But is it the case that maybe the human who was in the middle of that really got some enhanced attention because of the situation? Yeah, absolutely. And, and duty of care and all of that absolutely get, you know, get on top of our list. And yeah. um, it, it was really to get people to protect them, to have them safe and sound and also you know all the good things with the data that we could do and also with everything that we could provide once we know you know where people are and what they mm -hmm. do. I'm curious in the process of consolidating and leveraging your spend 
you had historical data. Did the pandemic affect the um, way that you were able to use that data or the um, confidence with suppliers or the confidence in the volumes of travel that might actually net out after the pandemic? Was there a conversation of that? Yes, it was. And it was a quite open, frank and honest conversation because I, I think, you know, everybody has kind of the same issue and the situation. We all don't know where it's going. So nobody has the crystal ball and, and all of that. So we have been really, really quite open with our uh, partners and said, guys, we, we, we don't know where it's going. We don't know when we bounce back, if we bounce back, to which levels. So we want to work with you. We want to work in partnership. You know, what can we do? So I think, yes, we're always quoting 2019 levels as the mm -hmm. baseline. And we also gave this to partners, but nobody also with really great respect to all the partners, nobody said, yeah, but we, you know, we quote you on this today. Like we want that now. Right. So it was really the transparency to, to say, listen, we want to do something we want to create a new program and are you with us? And, and that was a very good starting point. And I also have to say, you know, it was when I started and before COVID, everything in the strategy was well thought through. We were planned to go to large RFPs, huge mm -hmm. pieces, and we were really about to start. And and then we had to take a decision, are we doing this or not? And we decided together with our board to not do that. I also didn't feel comfortable um, in launching big RFPs to suppliers, partners that mm -hmm. really have been hit hard. Yeah. So people were fur furloughed. They, they wouldn't have the time, the resources to properly answer. So we had a couple of tough conversations because we said guys we're not going to um to rfp we did our due diligence and you know we will take a very documented informed decision we did benchmark we do negotiate so we do all the good things but we will not launch a big rfp because we don't think that's the right thing to do at this point in time and everybody was fine with it also here as an industry everybody was like yeah we understand it and um Thanks for letting us know. So I think this was also a very good sign of collaboration for everybody. As an industry, we are kind of looking at that RFP process in general, whether it's air, whether it's hotel. Did the process that you went through with your partners um, sort of during the pandemic, did, it, did you learn anything from that that you think you might apply later? Yes. And... I, quite frankly, I was not and, uh, planning to do a normal RFP, a standard RFP. That's absolutely not my thing. I would have done a completely different RFP and, and you know, I've, we already planned out for that. So we did apply a couple of these things, uh, of course, also during the due diligence. So it's, it's really more on a workshop basis. It's really mm -hmm. more on the core requirements perspective. It's really more around what fit is the company to our culture. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yes, we learned that it's the right way to do. So 
I would challenge each and every uh, RFP that that is upcoming in, in infusing more innovation and different things out there to find the right partner. Yeah. Let's talk specifically about the TMC because there have been a lot of conversations in the industry over the past year about uh, TMC commercial structures and how to modernize them, so to speak. How did you net out with your TMC provider and what conversations did you have? So my general take is in all the chaos, we had lace innovation, right? So I, I do believe that this crisis has shown us that something needs to change. But what I also know and learned is that this is not happening overnight. So I I believe that the commercial model that we are all having is one that needs to be, you know, redone, that, that needs to be infused with a couple of other things. Have I actually done it? No, because the 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 partner was not yet ready, but I know they're working on it. But yes, I, I want to go into something like subscription models or other things. But at that immediate point in time, they were not ready for that. And I think I had to also then, you know, take a step back and say, I want to implement now. I want to consolidate now, but I need to work on this jointly later. I really believe this is a next step. So after the brilliant basics and we are still on a transaction fee model, um, something definitely will, will change, yeah. Interesting. And and you had that conversation then with your TMC to say, this is what we want to do for now. And we understand yeah. your position for now, but we would like to revisit this. Yeah, um, def- mm-hmm. And is it possible? Can you tell me who you went with for your global? Um, yes. For your global- so, yes, it's Agencia. So we partnered oh. with Agencia um, and they have already managed um, a large portion of our spend. Mm-hmm. So it was also the right thing to do to give the partner, um, you know, more business. Mm-hmm. And also in terms of getting more leverage in a fast paced environment and in mm-hmm. a fast track approach. What's your feeling about the Agencia announcement with mm-hmm. American Express? Are you pleased about that? I, I understand it's going to be operated as a separate brand, et cetera, underneath, but how are you feeling about that? If we are all honest, GBT is a seven years old company. In, in our heads, in mine, in all of our heads, you know, we have the traditional old Amex ways, but GBT is only seven years old and it's, you know, it's owned by investors and they want to see change. So maybe give them that. And on the other hand, Agencia is so closed system and it's such a closed environment. That is something I'm looking forward to um, on the GBT side of things. Tell me about how you began to shape the Randstad program then. It was not globalized. It was quite local. So I understand the globalization element Mm -hmm. of it. But what about implementing new technologies, implementing new policies, um, introducing new internal partnerships that might make sense for the travel program, such as with HR, with risk management, um, those all seem to be opportunities for um, starting from scratch, as you say. Mm, yeah, you're right. And, and that's what, you know, we started off with that strategy at the very beginning. So I would always see a TMC or a TMC implementation, globalization. That's a, the major building block. But 
what comes first is the overall strategy of, you know, how does it all go together? So clearly we have been thinking about how can we introduce new technology and we're a digital first company. So also when the crisis hit, you know, we were ready because every everything was already digital. So it was about the time to really move everything also to a, a online platform, for example. So mm. It was always in the focus, but you're right from a very strategic perspective and uh, aligned back to, to the strategy of Randstad as a, as a human capital company. We always said there needs to be the duty of care element. There needs to be the innovation digitalization and there needs to be you know, a, a real strong also um, partnership management that could be external partners but like you say internal partners uh, as well and for us it was a lot about um, HR so the chief HR officer is the owner of our policy so we started off with the policy as a building block before we even implemented the team C because we had no global policy so mm -hmm. that was actually the first step we did and then mm -hmm. as the policy was there we then said okay and now we need to kind of bring it to life with the new program it was indeed IT, it was, you know, all the stakeholder groups that we would normally see as, you know, being part of, of a travel uh, strategy and a travel team um, for really doing not only, and here's your team seat, but really all the others bring them on board as well. Mm -hmm. And so um, as you had the policy and mm -hmm. um, had sort of lodged that with the HR, um, team, did you see that the pandemic modified anything about the policy that you were putting in place? Or did you have a minute to say, oh, okay, how is the, how is the pandemic going to affect travel going forward and to actually create policy to accommodate that? We, we laid the foundation with that new global policy and it was so fresh and then the pandemic hit and it wasn't really actually used. Mm -hmm. Let, let's mm -hmm. be honest about that. Nobody really traveled. So what we did is, of course, we adapted it to the current rules. We, we didn't have anything around approvals, et cetera, in, but now we really had to say, listen, now in these circumstances, these are the rules of traveling. So we added that on top of that, but we didn't really change the, the real standard framework. But of course, there was a an interim pop-up policy that that we used for for the COVID time in terms of what are the golden rules of traveling in this particular time and this could mean that you need approval and this could mean that you need to do something different than in the global policy but it was not that we have been rewriting the full document it mm -hmm. was more uh, yeah as I said a pop-up policy. It's interesting, and, and I like how you describe it as a pop-up policy. How is that pop-up policy going to evolve as people return to travel in earnest? Um, the approvals will be there, I assume, but then where do you go from there? Yeah, interesting question, uh, Beth. So I think, again, it's a little bit of assuming, and we see in, in the data that domestic travel picks up again in the U.S. a little bit in Asia, in our Asian markets, mm -hmm. a little bit domestic UK and Germany. So we're seeing that travel resume. So we have been thinking about, you know, the workplace as, as in being a little bit hybrid, like a smart workplace. We're working from home, we're working 
um, from the office. So um, still offices are closed, some are coming back. So, so what is the new way of, of traveling? So we have combined this a little bit with the thinking of what will the future of work look like and what will the future of travel look like? And then there was a quite interesting thought and I understand that from our board that said, listen guys, we haven't traveled in a year or oh, well, we have been traveling you know, 80% less in a year and we did our job. So is not now the time to think about what the future of travel in Randstad will be? And I said, fantastic, that's it. But please don't just say, I cut your budget, but let's really think about when do people need to go? And they said, totally fine. We totally get it. It's not the message that we want to send. It's go, go on a business trip. Go if you have a client meeting, if you are signing a multi-million dollar deal, if you need to see your team, you just go. We're all you know, grown-ups, we can take this decision, but really think about, can you do this as well from home? Because you did it in the last year. And this is where our return to travel policy goes. It's more around the should I stay or should I go element mm -hmm. of it, right? Mm -hmm. That we would love to empower the people to take these decisions. And the board says, it's, it's clear, we have shown we can do differently, so let's do this in the future. We have mm -hmm. saved on the environment, we have saved money, we saved on, you know, also traveler well-being. Let's continue to do this. So they're doing it for the right reasons. And have you put a framework around that in terms of how to guide the decision making? Um, yes. And how are you communicating that to travelers? So we have put a little one pager um, uh, together where we have the little workflow where you say, okay, um, this is the, the buckets of travel where we see it. Like, is it really, you need to do it because you need to meet your team or is it personal human to, to human? Because we all know that element will never go away and we will not stop traveling because we need to see each other. Or is it something really client related that's also relevant or is it something that you really need to do because you need to be there to sign a contract. I, I don't know, right? So is it a, a legal obligation that you mm -hmm. need to do that particular meeting? So we have worked on that buckets with some examples and then really put the element of, should I stay or should I go? Like really literally out there and said, if so, yeah, okay. Then here's your policy, here's your tools, you do that. And if not, we have a fantastic um, suite of video conferencing. Um, you do that. And from a communications perspective, we are working on an integration of that into our overall traveler engagement plan. Mm -hmm. So we're having an integrated comms plan with this where we would go out in different uh, channels and really embed this in our travel engagement campaigns. Got it. And, and what is the uptake in your travel engagement campaigns? Um, I, in speaking with other companies, employees are quite interested in travel at this moment and to understand what the structures around travel will be. Have you seen um, employee engagement um, quite high? I would say yes. Unfortunately, you know, I don't have a good enough comparison because it's so new for us. But 
my KPI at the moment is, you know, we started off what I said before with 12 markets interested to join and now are over 20. So naturally we do the engagement with the local countries, the local travelers, our local uh, communities, and it shows that they are interested and that there is a, a huge interest in, interest in joining the program. So I would personally say the engagement is high. I can't compare to before because there was no before. Right. So I don't, you know, there wasn't a global communication before in terms of this is how travel looks like. So this is where we just started and will start now. We also did take a strategic decision that we of course inform during the pandemic on what we are working and engaging with people, mm -hmm. but the real changes and the campaigns, they will start now as of, as of June to, because we said we will wait until travel comes back because otherwise people read something and they say, oh, there's a new tool. And then they forget about it because they actually don't use it. I know that this might be a bit of an unfair question because you did come into the program right before the pandemic and then the travel and then travel shut down. But do you think that travelers have new expectations of the travel program after a pandemic? And maybe this is a more general question, not just about Randstad, but but in general, travelers, I think in many companies could kind of take or leave the travel program. They wanted to book direct, they wanted to do this or that, and they often would take it upon themselves to do that. Do you think there's more reliance on a travel program now than before? I would personally see it like this because as a, you know, as a safety net, as a, you know, as a traveler, I want to know what my company does for me. And I really also do believe that the duty of care element has been getting more important in terms of having all the right information, having all the right things in place. So I will personally assume that a traveler sees it, but mm -hmm. still, I do believe the program needs to be really good, really simple, really easy to use to make travelers want to use it. And then they don't think about, you know, going outside. So I, I think it's, it's yes. I think travelers' attitude towards maybe using a corporate dictated uh, way or process might change. But I still also believe that, you know, the same amount of simplification or easy to use or clear guidelines need to apply. Otherwise, nobody would use a program, even if they know, oh, they got my back. So, but if it's clunky and if they don't get out of it or don't get the information, they will not use it. What about the travel experience? Are you concerned about service levels with suppliers? And is there anything that travel managers can put in place to help suppliers um, ramp back up? Just even if it's information that they can share? Um, because I, I think there are some concerns out there that service levels or what travelers were used to prior to the pandemic will not be the same. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, if we think about, I don't know, at the beginning, airport experiences, long queues, now vaccination passports, all of these mm -hmm. additional elements coming on top, it it really, I believe it, it gets a little bit more complex. And, and yes, we can only hope that the partners and suppliers will manage that. And we learned that a lot of the airports have done good things in terms of, you know, making also airports ready for the traveling crowd again. But mm -hmm. 
You're right. I think it gets more complex. And I think all we can do is really display uh, information around rules and I don't know, waiting times, and this is what you need to expect, but also this is what you need to have with you if you want to go on a business trip. We don't know where it's going. Maybe we need a digital you know, passport, vaccination passport. Uh, we all don't know. We don't know if air corridors are opening. So what do you need there? What do you need for other things? Yes, it's getting complex. And, um, and the sheer amount of, of information is, is huge. So what can we do with suppliers? I think the only thing is really, you know, understanding where they are and, and what they can provide us as a good source of information and then mm. provide it to the traveler. Yeah. And how are you providing that to the traveler? So for me, and this might be kind of a, a dream, but mm. for me, being able to supply that at the point of sale, at the point of decision is really that critical piece. Are, are you thinking about how to manage that information at the point of decision? Um, yes. And also my, my quite frank answer here is it is still a dream because I, I see a lot of efforts and I see a lot of things displayed, but it's not that, you know, there is the holy grail out there, something that is covering everything. But mm-hmm. this is, this is really something that keeps me up at night, you know, we, we know all the processes and we see everything is good and everybody has their pieces of information, but there is not at point of sale or there is not one yet, one solution yet that really covers it all. So I would echo your dream, um, but mm-hmm. at the moment we're seeing a standard application as in being the booking tool or platform displaying whatever is out there but it's not enriched with, I don't know, real-time data or airport data or mm-hmm. I don't know, right? So yes, I see a lot of good things happening. So standalone, but not in a managed environment yet in a holistic end-to-end process. Yeah. Is that something that you talk to your TMC about or um, to any of your technology providers about? Um, yes, it is. Um, but again, it's it's not a matter of the information in silos not being there or the applications. It's really how to make it like seamless and integrated at mm-hmm. one point of sale. I think that that is the large, large challenge here, the huge challenge here uh, to get it all consolidated, like real time. And for me, vaccinated, yes, no. What is the rule for me? Can I mm-hmm. go? What does this airline want? Oh, this airline is giving me a test kit. Oh, this airline lets you on because it has a corridor. I don't know, right? So these right. are, and, and it's it's so dynamic. The information right. is changing every day. So I think there is an opportunity. As I said before, you know, in all of this chaos is innovation. I think one thing that has really come from this experience for travel managers and for the industry as a whole is the awareness around business travel management has increased tremendously with company executives. And they've really looked to travel managers as strategic partners during this time. I know that you were brought on to be strategic, but how do you think the um, perception of what you do has changed since the pandemic? So I think there was the time to show it's more than just arranging a trip from A to B or from 
you know, delivering those savings or managing the partnership with a certain supplier. It's really how can travel add value to the company strategy and be an enabler? Because this is really what I want travel to be in a company. It's an enabler to do business. And, and I think this is the biggest opportunity for all travel managers to, when they have a seat at the table, to say, listen, we're not only there to bring you from A to B with good deals and a saving, but really to enable you to do your business. And then once you're there, I think it's, it's really clear to the board what the value of that role or that team is. Yvonne, thank you so much for talking with me today. It's been a real pleasure. Yes, thank you, Beth. You're listening to The Biz at BTN, the brand new podcast from Business Travel News. If it's happening in business travel, you'll hear it here first.